You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Yeah. You're with Counterculture on Reality Check Radio with Marie and joining me now is writer and senior editor of Wrong Speak Publishing. Welcome to Counterculture, Audra Fasanelli. How are you? I'm good. And you got my name right. Yay. Yay. Oh no, look, it's so good to um, have you join us. Tell us a little bit more about who you are and uh, what it is, how you got here today. Well, I was noticing quite a few of the of these issues cropping up you know on on twitter and places like that so i decided that i guess i was just going to start talking about it and then then i started writing about it and then i got i started writing more and more um and that's kind of how that happened um i didn't really expect like all this attack, like I didn't expect to be pop. I didn't expect it to go anywhere, I guess. Um, you know, I'm kind of a humble person. Like I didn't expect to, um, that my journalism would, you know, kind of expand into that kind of way, but, um, it's going pretty well, but yeah, I'm just a normal person who just was concerned. Basically, I I was a big supporter of like the LGBTQ community my entire life. And I began to sort of get attacked by trans activists and they started telling me to do more research. And so as I did more research, um, I got more and more um, sucked in, I guess, to like the lack of science and efficacy and ethics behind um, gender medicine and transgender care. And so one of my first pieces for Ron Speak was about, you know, the medical transition of minors and doing a deep dive into like what that stuff means and like the effect it has on children and et cetera. And then um, I started seeing more and more posts about the school system and those types of things like the introduction of these topics into schools, the change, the pronouns, and then hiding the pronouns from parents and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So then I started trying to do more research into that, um, that area. So that's how I ended up here. And I'm glad you mentioned that. So what pricked my attention was an article that you wrote at the end of last year and uh, in the Federalist and it says on survey 1168 parents report their kids encountered sexually explicit content in schools. I wanted to know if the teachers introducing explicit material to children in social media viral videos were outliers. What I found was shocking. So introduce that in terms of social media viral videos and the article as a whole. So how did you come across that? Well, I the first thing I saw was um, lips of TikTok. I saw all these teachers basically teaching the kids about, you know, these are my pronouns. And, you know, if, if you're trans, like, I'm not going to tell your parents, you know, and et cetera, et cetera. And just really shocking um, videos of, of teachers talking to parents, to the kids about being polyamorous and you know, just, just completely, when I went to school, 
I saw that some of my teachers were married and I didn't even know anything else about them. I didn't know who they were married to. I couldn't tell you if they were gay. I couldn't tell you if they were straight. I couldn't tell you anything about their personal life. And these teachers um, seem to be really, really proud talking to the parents and stuff about the, the students about... Um, Oversharing. Yeah, just a really, in my opinion, just way oversharing, you know, just... Um, and I just was kind of shocked by that. Uh, so you created a survey. So mm -hmm. how did you get the survey distributed? And I mean, 1168, that's a fairly decent sample size. So walk us through that. Well, I designed it on SurveyMonkey and I, and I invited everyone to take it. I invited people who didn't have any issue with their kids curriculum to take it. And I invited people who did you know, to take it. And the, the unfortunate part was um, some of the feedback I got from the people who were perfectly fine with their kids curriculum in school. I don't even know if these, these were, but they called me, you know, a homophobe and a transphobe. And they wrote little like messages in the survey, like the brief warm part of the survey to like, you know, go kill myself and things, you know, nice little messages. So I, so this, the tragic part about my survey that I really um, feel bad about is just the lack, the sampling error, basically. I wanted a broad political spectrum of people to take it and to tell me like, oh no, I'm fine with my kid's curriculum or, oh yeah, oh no, I'm, I'm horrified by it. And what I ended up with was a lot of people who um, were horrified, mm. basically. And all, the, the survey was designed to kind of give you an overall viewpoint of like, I wanted to know if this material was available in all 50 states, basically, not just, you know, red states or blue states, right? Because I noticed a lot of the videos from Libs of TikTok were teachers from, you know, New York and California and et cetera. And I wanted to know, okay, well, is this a New York and a California problem or is this like- Spread you know, across everywhere. Right. And it was spread across everywhere. Basically, there wasn't a single state that didn't respond to me that said that they were having an issue. But I only included in my article, well, there were two articles. There were that article and then another one I wrote for Ron Speak. And then the Ron Speak one was a little more technical. And I only included the top five states who had the most responses. So who, who were the worst? I mean, so give us an example of some of the states that uh, this was quite endemic. And the average age was 13 years of age. That That's what really bothered me the most, too, was we weren't talking about, you know, 16-year-olds. We weren't talking about 14-year-olds. We were talking about, you know, middle schoolers, 13 And if the average is 13, kids. that means that a good number of them were much younger than that. So 13 and 12 years old were the highest number of people who responded for how old their child was. In the states that seemed to be the greatest? The, the greatest responses, honestly, were Ohio, New York, Texas, Arkansas, and Colorado. But even Alabama skated right underneath that. They had 29. Response. So that's really interesting in terms of your point that you said before, 
how it was spread across both red and blue states. Now, for Kiwi listeners, what we mean by that, blue states are democratic, which tend to be a little bit more liberal. Red states are um, conservative or Republican states, so they tend to be a little bit more conservative. So a rough rule of thumb is think like Labour and National. Okay, so, and the colours are reversed. <laughs> so, oh, okay. Yeah, so just, okay. so that, I find that really interesting because Ohio is a swing state, New York is true blue, Texas is as red as it comes, Arkansas is very red, and Colorado is very blue. So it is certainly spread across the spectrum. And what about the average ages? What were the ages that these kids were when they expressed, that they experienced this material? Well, the the ages that were the largest respondents were 13 and 12 and seven, seven years old too. Seven years old was a big hit. So do you think that this has been driven um, from an individual level, from the individual teachers, or is this faculty or school? I think it's top top down. Um, So I haven't done any digging yet, but I, I was planning on doing some, deeper dives, but I've been told by people who looked a little deeper into this, that this could be mainly driven by national, um, by the NAP, the Federal Department of Education. Basically. Right. So, so, so just to explain for our listeners, sort of because your education system, because of the division of states, works quite differently to ours. So just give us a quick overview of how your education system is structured so we can get an idea of you know what this looks like so generally speaking according to our constitution any any anything that isn't specifically given to the federal government in our constitution is automatically given to the states so we have a federal department of education and they can make recommendations about different curriculum and things like that and so they put together a sex ed curriculum um, that i strongly suspect can't prove yet, strongly suspect that um, has included a lot of these topics. So, and school districts can choose whether or not they adopt those policies. Now, school districts are also quite different as well, because here we Mm -hmm. have individual schools, which will have a board of trustees, which is uh, made up of both elected and appointed individuals. But your school districts and school boards look after a number of schools all the way from kindergarten through the end of high school. But they how are they selected? It's quite different. So we have a school board and we vote for our school board members. And school board members have a lot of control over, like, for example, who a superintendent of like the middle school is or who's hired at the high school or who's hired at this. There's a superintendent and then that superintendent has a lot of hiring, you know, hiring and firing. So that's kind of how it's structured. Democracy is wonderful, as we know. However, it can be corrupted if you have certain interest groups that are very active in a space, they can then influence those school boards, is that? Right. And that and that's I, I think that's the main problem with my main school, which I featured in the odd article, the Rexville Broadview Heights Schools District. So since that time period, a coalition of parents have formed um, a Be the Light group to try and investigate, you know, why are 13 year olds being exposed to sex toys? 
So they're bringing these into schools? I have no idea how they're doing it. All I I said was that what we discovered is that the school district has adopted our national standards. Mm -hmm. The school district had a set of websites that they were giving to the kids. And on these websites are a lot of inappropriate things like talking about whether or not pornography is normal, how to have a self-managed abortion, which, you know, I understand abortion is a hot topic for a lot of, a lot of people, especially in my country. It's, it's really. Again, in the average age of children that were experiencing, this was what, 12 and 13? This was the middle school curriculum. Right. So, so that's intermediate so 12 school and 13. in this country. That's what eventually some parents discovered because they asked the middle school to produce the curriculum. So these discussions were actually conducted by the schools and the teachers as part of a class plan, but without parental consent. Yes. So the the parents were notified, hey, we're teaching sex ed, but they didn't go into any details about what, what exactly they were teaching the kids. Right. So keeping it deliberately broad. Talk me through the gender plan that you have in the article that you discussed in the article. There were several TikTok teachers who were very proud of the fact that they were providing children with clothing that they could change out of, for example. So like, let's say I'm a girl and I want to go to school, but I'm actually a boy or I identify as a boy. So Audra wants to be Andre at school. Yeah, I want to be Andre. What they would do is they would put together a gender plan for the kids. So what they would do is they would put down on the roster, hey, this kid wants to be called by Andre. They want he, him pronouns, and they wouldn't tell the parents any of this at all. That's really quite, as a parent, I find that quite terrifying. I mean, me too, especially the the funny part about this is the Trevor Project is constantly pushing statistics about how people who are trans are at high risk of suicide. And so as a parent, I would absolutely like to know whether or not my child is, is having that type of difficulty just simply because, you know, I need to get my child some help, obviously. Mm. Yeah, because you would like to do a wide range of counselling and have open discussion and, you know, talk about all those different elements. One of the themes that I have found talking about this issue, because I will be brutally honest, I was unaware of all of this for the longest time was one of the themes is locking parents out of the conversation. The other theme is I almost feel like there's an element of grooming with the children. Yeah. Are you, have you sort of found that with some of your research? Um, right now, my the parents group is digging into the Braxville Broadview High School to try to figure out a little more of what's going on. But so far, all that we do know for sure about that is that the school has adopted our president, Joe Biden's definition of Title IX. He defines Title IX. You can basically use the restrooms, the locker rooms, the gym, et cetera, on the basis of your gender identity rather than on the basis of sex. So that's all so far that we know about the Brexville Broadview Heights School District is that that's what that's what we know for sure. I, I have to wonder what else is going on at the school. It is really quite terrifying. Do you think the internet has played a big part of this in terms of exposure or the ability for these educators to be able to get their message out to a wider audience? Oh, yeah. 
Absolutely. I think social media is a big driver of this. And I, I also think too, like originally when I launched my survey, I feel like I, I framed it as fairly as I possibly could, because truthfully, I wasn't sure if the school had a sex ed program that, you know, was a little bit salacious, or if these, these students were looking things up on TikTok and Twitter and Pornhub, God forbid, and then going to the the teachers and being like, hey, I don't know what this is, or hey, what is this? But no, I definitely think it's a combination of both, honestly. It feels like that there is a normalization of a lot of this information. I know, I mean, I've got two sons, sort of stuff will come out. I'm like, "How how did you find out about that? And they just look at me like I'm it's like mum you're being so dumb it's on the internet and all the kids are talking about it yeah it is quite they are, I'm very lucky my boys aren't getting this stuff directly from school so I, I'm very fortunate there but I know that it is happening in other schools so it is quite terrifying you mentioned before how as part of your journey that you were a huge supporter of the LGBT community well back when it was LGB what broke that sort of not support I mean you obviously still have a, an affection of in a support for for everybody but what was that tipping point was there a single moment where you just went yeah no because it has taken on instead of we've gone from you know acceptance to celebration right I just think it's it's wildly inappropriate I saw videos of kids having almost like a celebration oh so-and-so came out like let's let's throw a party in the classroom and Honestly, I just think it's wildly inappropriate to me for a number of reasons. But I think the first reason is that, first of all, this is a child, right? Mm-hmm. When I was growing up, kids were, were oftentimes they thought they were gay or lesbian or whatever. And then as they got older, they were like, oh, wait, no, I'm not. And I think there's an element to this where there's too much celebration. In other words, that can put pressure on that child to feel like, oh, wait a minute. I don't want to let my parents down. I don't want to let the teacher down. I don't want to let my friends down. So I can't be honest about, you know, how I'm really feeling. And I think there's a big difference between telling if a kid comes up to you and says, you know, I'm gay. And you say, you know, that's nice. I know that you might feel that way today, you know, but just, just so you know, your feelings can change because, because they can. I just think it's, it's just too much. It's just too much. Yeah. So I think that point where you said from acceptance to celebration, because with acceptance, you can still carry on as part of your uh, school community and be and, and be thoroughly accepted and explore what it is that you are, and then have the ability to change your mind if you choose to, you have the acceptance from your peer group or your social group to be able to do that. But with celebration, that it's it's almost like if you were a heterosexual couple or even a homosexual couple that's gone on you've had a big wedding and the big to do and then all of a sudden you're having the divorce and you feel awful and it's a traumatic time well i mean are these kids now going through with this gender marriage to use the metaphor and then what happens when they want to divorce that the psychological impact even on a young adult for that is huge like I, I have a friend who's bi and who also has friends who thought they were gay. And then they said to themselves as adults and we're like, oh, no, now I got to turn around and tell my parents I'm not. And I made a big deal about 
being gay and, and, you know, I, I made plans and I came out and I did this and I did that. And it's just so much pressure. If it's pressure for an adult, I don't see how it couldn't be pressure for a child. Mm. I spoke to Scott Nugent um, several weeks ago and he Mm. talked about the speed that once a decision was made that they went with transition and he spoke from his adult context but he said the scary thing with children is that they it is fast they do the social a social transitioning was a term that you used in your article that i hadn't heard before so that is that sort of giving them the clothing and allowing them to explore and live that life at school see to me that's that's grooming yeah, there, that's um, there's some research later on that I, I've read and I'm not really sure. I haven't quite formed an opinion on that. My my opinion used to be that social transition was harmless, but then several other psychologists have come out and said that it, it's not mm-hmm. for the reasons that I just stated that, you know, you came out as a boy and you made these boy friends and you did all this stuff. And then now all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute. I'm really a girl and now I got to backpedal away from all that. And not only that, our reading and, and math scores aren't very good in the United States. It, it's just a lot of time spent on non-academic things. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. Well, that is a universal issue here as well. So, and isn't that interesting? It's a lot of time spent not on core curriculum, not actually teaching the kids the skills that they really need to get out into the bigger, wider world. Do you feel that this issue has become, with all the critical social justice issues that are out there, and for a long time, I mean, it was race, I truly believe that the trans issue actually started gaining momentum through into through 2019, and then COVID put the brakes on it for a few years. And then it was just COVID, COVID, COVID and Black Lives Matter and the racial element took over for a while. Now that that seems to have settled down, the trans activists have sort of bubbled up from below the surface again. There's a highly, become highly political. Is that something that you're seeing over there? Oh, yeah. And, and the sad part is, is I read an article from a bunch of doctors who you know, because I watch what Europe does. And I noticed that a lot of your European medical institutions have found that evidence for child transition, preventing suicide and all this other stuff was so scant. Physical ramifications of these treatments that were still so unknown that they, that they literally put the brakes on it and said, no child's socially, even socially transition until they turn 16. And they wrote a piece, it's called it's the group is SEGM. And they wrote a piece about how they're concerned that the politics in the United States is what is driving this more than this, you know, high standard of medical care. And and I don't think I think that has a lot to do with honestly, the fact that we have our very first um, trans health, head of health and human services, Rachel Levine, I think that this individual is driving a lot of that. This just blows my mind. It all just completely blows my mind because from my perspective, this all feels like it has happened so fast. But I think that there has been a creep for a very, very long time. What are some of the issues now? You're about to head into primary seasons for an election next year. How is it? with a country of over 330 million people, that the choices are so slim. Um, For everybody that's listening, Audra has just given me the biggest eye roll ever. (laughs) 
it is crazy. Surely, surely at the end of this, we're not going to end up with the same two candidates as last time. I, I'm hoping. I'm hoping we don't. But it looks like the Democratic Party is just, I guess, married to to Biden. I don't know why. I literally don't. I don't know why. And then I think they're trying to prosecute Trump for a federal crime. So I'm not even sure that he's going to be able to, to run. So that's obviously the motivation behind that, right? Um, yeah, crazy. Yeah, no, and, and everybody sees it, which kind of makes it sad because honestly, if, if Trump did do something wrong, I haven't decided yet. In other mm-hmm. words, like I'm not, I'm not a big, I'm not a big, um, I'm not, I'm not anything. I'm an independent. <laughs> do you feel that a lot of Americans are now feeling divorced from both parties and are sort of set adrift with no other options? Oh yeah. Well, for women, for in particularly for women's rights, women have to choose between do I want to vote for the party that is pro-abortion and you know calls me a birther and wants to destroy women's right women's rights for sports and locker rooms and bathrooms and only calls me a woman in the context of abortion, but <laughs> but does not call me a woman any other time. Or do I want to vote for the party that wants to protect women's sports, wants to protect women's bathrooms, wants to protect women, women's locker rooms, but also wants abortion completely banned. Mm. That That's the big choice I see with women right now. So a lot of decisions will be based on a single policy. Right. I, I personally, I, I'm team bathrooms and locker rooms and being called a woman because I have, I'm of the political opinion that if we are not called women, then we will not have rights, period. Mm. If a woman is not an adult human female, then we will lose every single right that we, that we have. This is Counterculture with Marie. I'm talking to Audra Fascinelli. She is the senior editor of Ron Speak Publishing. I find that so true, Audra, and particularly after the Posey Parker incident, we had a lot of women here who suddenly realised that why are people so angry about this tiny little English lady standing up and talking about what's important for women? A number of people I've spoken to feel that it is ultimately a misogyny trying to destroy women yet again. Are you seeing and feeling that as a woman and as an American woman? You know, I I also have a friend who's, I think she's a radical feminist. She knows a lot of radical feminist theory. And she talked to me about um, Andrea Dworkin, who wrote a book about how there is both left-wing misogyny and right-wing misogyny. I never saw it before, the left-wing misogyny until now. But absolutely, there's there's definitely a level of misogyny here. It's definitely a, a misogynistic movement. The idea that a woman is essentially a feeling and that you can put on a dress and get surgery and now you're a woman, it's misogynistic. Mm. You, you can't buy womanhood. You have to be poor. Yeah, you can't, you know? you can't just pick that up off the shelf. No. No, and I can't buy manhood either. And that's another element to this, I think, that is kind of ignored. I'm wondering when the men's rights groups are going to start start speaking up. But I have seen a couple men, you know, on Twitter in my comments who say that they want their own bathroom space too. you know, that this. this, Well, you just have to look at the hate 
that is uh, expressed towards men on social media like Andrew Tate, who is one of those first men to sort of say, I am a man and I am about my masculinity. And But he's oh, yeah, certainly no. trying to protect his position, right. which right. I would have thought in a civilised society where you value free speech, that that is okay. If you don't like what he has to say, don't listen to it, surely. I, I haven't listened to much of Andrew Tate. I do know that um, he he said something weird about sleeping with a whole bunch of women that I didn't agree with. In terms of the media landscape over there now, I mean, wrong speak has been wonderful. I spoke to Adam, as you know, the lovely Adam a few weeks ago, and he uh, walked us through the creation of wrong speak and the ability to be able to bring together a collection of writers to share different ideas. Do you find that it's important to get those ideas out there? Is it more and more difficult to get differing views on many topics out into the wider world, even over in the United States? I think, honestly, that people are really hungry for good journalism. Places like Ron Speak are so important for that. It's really cool to be a part of an organization that prioritizes free speech the way that Adam does. He takes it very seriously. And so do I. I don't always agree with everything that is published. It is. And it's actually having the importance to protect somebody who you don't agree with is just as equally as important to protect the speech of somebody that you do agree with. So, yeah, right. you do do that um, with wrong speak. What are some of the key cultural issues you think are going to come to the fore in the next sort of 12 to 18 months, say through to the time of the American election at the end of next year? I think people are just wanting to return to some sanity, honestly, especially on the social issues. I think, you know, Biden literally in my opinion is like i i used to vote democrat for for quite a long time but honestly he socially i'm a lot more conservative obviously than than this culturally speaking obviously we have the issues of abortion and we have issues of um, women's rights and we have issues but we also have parental rights too biden said something recently about how you know it isn't just your child it's 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 the nation's child, like it's the nation's children, you know, and, and a lot of parents are like, no, this is, this is my kid, you know, <laughs> and I'm going to raise my kid and my values very much, honestly, just, just this creepy, like socialist vibe, socialist communist vibe where, you know, why are you so obsessed with people's kids? That's one issue that's going to come to a head big time. But I also think we're seeing the consequences of this whole, you know, there's your truth and there's my truth. You know, I used to be one of those people too. Oh yeah. Like have your own personal truth. There's no such thing as a personal truth. Like it's either true or it's false. We're seeing the consequences of that kind of an attitude, like in society. That sort of attitude for me is an attitude of affluence. It's when you can afford to have that attitude, it is wonderful. But economically, internationally, after COVID, things are pretty dire. I know in the United States, you're experiencing very difficult financial times. Do you feel that the economic crisis has been buried and all these cultural issues are out in the media and in the fore to actually try and hide how bad things actually are for everyday people trying to live their everyday lives. So I, all the sideshows of the Dylan Mulvaney's and the Leah Thomas's and the, all of those sorts of people out of the media, it's like bread and circuses. Oh yeah. 
Definitely. And, and it has no chance of slowing down. And honestly, it's because I don't think Biden cares. Like we know, we know what causes inflation and that's too much spending. He wants to keep spending. That's just the way it's going to be, I guess. Baby formulas has jumped up in price astronomically. Like, and I definitely feel that I I can't afford junk food much anymore. I cut back where I can, but yeah, no, uh, I don't think he cares. And, and just like with this Russian crisis, I thought for sure, if if I had been president, I would have said, okay, we had these environmental goals, like about not drilling for oil, et cetera, et cetera. But we're, we have this looming crisis with Russia and we don't really know what's going to happen there, whether or not this is going to explode into a giant war or not. And it's important for us strategically to be energy independent. And I thought that he was going to turn around it, you know, address the, address the people. And we were going to start drilling, you know, again, um, and refining and becoming more energy independent. And uh, that didn't happen. And I think that the lack of oil in the market is drive a big driver of these prices because, I mean, our country's huge. <laughs> For your listeners, there's an old saying that Americans think 100 years is old and Europeans think that 100 miles is far. Yeah. Texas is so large that you literally have to take a plane from one end to the other or else it's like a 14-hour drive from one end to the other. So we're very dependent on oil and gas, very dependent. And I don't see any of the plans that he did that's going to really change that, to be honest with you. Electric cars are still completely out of out of our price range. And I guess my, my thing is, is he has a lot of elitist values that aren't really down to earth. And the Democratic Party, I think for me, used to be the party of the working man. And now they're the party of rich elite people who have apparently $150,000 to buy a Tesla. And you've just exactly described what has also happened in this country between the two main political parties. There's been a complete inversion of those sorts of values, yeah. That's the interesting thing in terms of the overarching element of the ideology is it doesn't matter where you live, whether or not you live in a group of islands in the bottom of the South Pacific with five and a half million people, or you live in a a continent, the ideology and the effect of that ideology is ultimately the same. So it's quite, it is really quite intriguing. Tell us a little bit more about where people can find you. They want to look things up that we've talked about today. Well, you can find me on Twitter at AudraF637. Ronspeak Publishing is Ronspeak. If you just type in at Ronspeak, you should find Adam Coleman. And then Ronspeak Publishing is. Fantastic. Hey, Audra, I really appreciate you giving me your time this morning. It has been great to talk to you. You've been listening to Counterculture with Marie Buskey. Reality Check Radio. Radio.